Would you get a Bible this morning and open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We're going to be starting in verse 1. And when you get there, would you please stand with me as we read God's Word together? We're going to take, this, is a whole, this whole chapter is a big story, but we're going to take it one section at a time. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the eyes, the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is li- he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Have a seat. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes and our ears to your word. Help us to be teachable to what you have to say to us today. And be glorified as you were glorified through the life of this man. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered, what it, reading that story, what it, was, what it is like to be born missing something? Something very important. And this man was born, this man was born, and his parents, like parents are supposed to, rejoiced that he was born and that he, they rejoiced as his cries. He grew and grew and every, everything seemed fine. But whenever he would open his eyes, something just didn't seem right. Maybe they veered off in the wrong directions. Or maybe it was that his eyes never followed his mother's hand as she lovingly waved it over his face. Or, stepping into the bright sunlight, the little boy kept his eyes open, not knowing the difference between the lamp inside the house at bedtime and the sun blazing at noon. It was all darkness to him. And not having the early medical technology that we have to detect this kind of thing, how devastating it would have been for his parents in the first century to discover that their child was blind. And all their dreams, all their hopes for him swept away in an instant. See, in the first century A.D., the only career path for this man this blind man, was to be sent outside day after day to beg, to hear the lives of people who could see, the people who could see just bustling along their way, and to hear most of them bustling right by him, not seeing or refusing to see the neediness of someone who couldn't see. 
But he could hear the neighbors and passers-by whispering, what sin brought this evil upon this guy? Why is this man in the Bible? You ever wondered that? Why must we be, on a Sunday morning, reminded of the cruelties of life? Why must we see a man born blind? Because this man represents the life of everyone who passed by him. Missing something so critical, but that we on our, no, on our own can't get back. This man represents our lives apart from God. Spiritual blindness, ever with a nagging sense in us, and you have probably felt this, a nagging sense of helplessness, of an inability to get really free from the darkness, and a wondering if anyone cares about our sorrows, much less if they're able to do anything about them, or even if they've been sent to help. This man is you and me, spiritually, apart from God. This man's story is also in the Bible because there is good news. God sends the light of the world so we can see. The people who wandered in darkness have seen a great light, the prophet Isaiah joyfully prophesied. And we are starting in John chapter 9 today after an explosive situation that Jesus had with people who thought they could see. After he proclaimed to them, I am the light of the world in John 8 verse 12. And this understanding of what truly seeing is continues in this chapter. And as we look at this passage today, because God sends the light of the world so we can see, we have to ask the question, what are we meant to see by this light? Well, we begin where the Bible begins, with God. Firstly, God, we can see God's initiative. Verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And it is so easy to get to this next really kind of shocking verse, verse 2, that we just move right along on ahead. We pass by, just like anybody else. And if, God sees, if God sends the light of the world so we can see, we must see that he sees this man. Hundreds, thousands of people have passed this guy by, by in his lifetime. But this day, no ordinary man sees him. God in the flesh sees him. And Jesus' disciples, seeing that he sees him, see him as well. So they ask in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? <laughs> God sees this man and they ask this? Thanks a lot, friends of Job. What kind of question is this? Is that where we default in the 21st century? Who sinned? Because of this, guy, this person's problem. What kind of question is this? This is the kind of question all of us naturally ask in ourselves or out loud when we see a situation like this. We just ask in a slightly different way. Who's responsible for this? What's the cause of this problem? No one 
can escape the problem of suffering, of pain, of injustice in the world? No one. The effects of sin, as Scripture clearly teaches, the the effects in the whole world are felt by everyone. Jesus Jesus himself was called a man of sorrows. And we see this and we want to know why. We try to find the cause so we can try to fix it or at least content ourselves that we can explain away the problem. Or we look for someone to blame, someone to hang. The Jews in this day tried to reconcile this by legalistically going for direct sin. There must be a direct correlation. This blindness from birth is so bad that this guy had to have sinned or his parents had to have sinned. So which is it, Jesus? What's wrong with this question? What's wrong with this, and they use this in the tech world, maybe they use it in other places, what's wrong with this root cause analysis? Jesus answered, verse 3, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Which catches our attention more? The fact of the man born blind is a problem to be analyzed? Or that God in the flesh didn't see blindness as this man's final identity, but saw a man made in God's image and the opportunity for God's glory? See, the question the disciples asked ruled out God's working. When disease, pain, suffering, and evil strikes this world, strikes our community, strikes our homes, where are we prone to focus? On what's wrong? Or to the God who sees people whom he loves? And in saying that, I am in no way saying that we should pretend like the problem isn't there and that there is real pain real suffering, real sickness, and that it is an evil thing. We should never consider those things as normal being okay and fine. But the truth is we may never ever get an answer to the question of why. But do we recognize the Lord who is greater, who is sovereign over sin, who sees and knows and initiates if we don't, we are, spirit, we are spiritually what this blind man represents physically. Many don't believe that God cares and can act. They don't see that he can. How could a good God allow so much suffering, they say, as, as the, the trump card to reject him? They either reject his existence or they reject him as incompetent. Do we who profess Jesus? A different rabbi, a rabbi named Rabbi Harold Kushner, wrote a book that was sadly de- has sadly deceived many professing Christians in this country, and it's called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. In this book, among other false assumptions, 
he states that not even God is strong enough to keep everything under control, though he might see and care. It's up to us who are religious to support each other in the pain. What kind of solution is that? That assumes that God has no plan for our suffering. And that is not, not the Jesus revealed in this book whom we're to follow. That's not the Jesus who came to save us from a greater problem than physical pain, suffering, and disease. This man has the same fundamental need we do. He needs Jesus to initiate. Do you believe that God has and had a plan for this man in his blindness? Do you believe that he has a plan for your suffering, whether it came from your own sin, which it can, or some, the sin of someone else, which it can, or some reason that we may never, ever know? Do you believe that he can act on that plan? Do you believe that he came to bring light? God sends the light of the world so we can see God's initiative. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus goes on. Second, we can see Jesus' obedience. Verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What are the works of him who sent me that Jesus is talking about here? Well, we've been reading a ton of them in this gospel alone. But these are all the signs, all the teaching, all the perfect obedience that told the world that Jesus, the light of the world, is the Christ, the Son of God. And while he was in the world, those works could be seen plainly. And while he was in, and we who have, and we who have the scriptures, we're afforded that same light by the Holy Spirit. These works bring sight and light to blindness and darkness. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. See, Jesus, we could spend all our time trying to figure out who sinned, who, how. I spent over 10 hours this week studying the doctrine of sin as part of a seminary class. Let me tell you, talk about heavy. And there is a place for that kind of thing. But there is work to be done. And Jesus is on a timeline. He's on a mission that has a deadline, literally. Night is coming when no one can work. His work is over at the cross. And that's where the light shines brightest. Because it is lifted up for the world to see that God's plan to deal with sin and his plan to restore all things was to make him sin who knew no sin and be sin for us. While he is on mission, he is the light of the world. He is going to, is going to work and he wants his disciples to work. 
This is the daylight that he's talking about. This man is part of God's plan to show that God sends the light of the world so we can see Jesus' obedience. So how does Jesus obey here? Verse 6, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And every day that I have studied this, I have remembered Denton commenting in a welcome some time ago, how much spit do you really need to make mud paste for this man's eyes? This is really, it's really weird, okay? Let's just call it, it's really weird. Jesus could have spoke, be healed. He actually, he does it. He says in another place, he says, Ephrathah, and it says, be opened. And someone could see. But what's going on here? The issue isn't the method. The issue is that Jesus is obeying his father. And it's the same, question, same answer to this question of whether this man sinned or his parents. The point isn't how. The point is that God is going to be glorified. Jesus has said over and over that he has not come to do his own will, but the will of his Father. And there are an infinite number of ways that God in the flesh could have healed this blind man. And he chooses this one. And he said to him in verse 7, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Which means sent. Why did Jesus come? Why did the second member of the Trinity come? He loves, yes. He wants to save, yes. But verse 4 says that he needs to do the works of him who sent him. And here, John the Apostle tells us that Siloam is translated sent. Why? Part of Jesus' obedience, part of Jesus' work, is to send others. To call them to obey in faith. To call us to obey in faith. Not that this man's washing his eyes in the pool is going to save him. How are we saved? By grace through faith, the scripture says. And that faith is not the dead faith, but is is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, as Hebrews tells us. This blind man could not see Jesus, but he felt Jesus put the mud on his eyes, and he heard Jesus command him to go. Our obedience, our obedience in faith can only come because Jesus obeyed. We cannot be sent to go and make disciples of all nations if Jesus himself wasn't sent making disciples. We are in this man's spiritual shoes. We have no mission if Jesus has no mission. We have no possibility of obeying and pleasing God if Jesus isn't sent. We are in blindness if the light of the world does not come. But he has come. And so we are sent. God sends the light of the world so we can see Jesus' obedience. Now let's ask a question. Do you think about this man's life? Who had ever sent this man before? Had anyone called him higher? 
My guess is not a single one. He was identified by those on the outside as someone paying the consequences of sin under God's judgment. And in verse 8, it says his, beg- his neighbors knew him as a beggar. Was this man's problem that people just didn't know how great he was? What was he? What was the world needing? What do you and I need? We need someone greater sent to us so that we, so that he could see. Someone greater who obeyed the highest calling and who therefore says, come with me and let's go higher. What happens when we listen to that calling? When we believe and we are sent by faith? Thirdly, we can see our witness. In the verse 7, so he went and washed and came back seeing. See, part of our, our witness is our obedience. This man obeyed. He had never been called to walk by faith before, but he does. And this obedience and its fruit might make it into the top five most understated sentences in the scripture. He went and washed and came back seeing. (laughs) This man whose eyes had failed him, whose eyes had sealed his fate, so everyone thought, were brought to life. And he saw his wet hands for the first time. He saw the pool for the first time. He saw the streets he used to get to the pool for the first time. He came back seeing and saw his parents for the first time. And he saw his neighbors for the first time. Wow, that's you? Wow, you have such a better voice than your face. His identity as a blind man is over. His identity as a beggar is over. Our identity as slaves of sin, when we trust Christ, is over. Sure, we are still redeemed sinners, but that's not our predominant identity anymore. And it really was that straightforward. And it is a picture of what happens when we believe Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. We need only believe him. We move from darkness to light as quick, if not quicker than that sentence. (laughs) This man's life flares to life like a great torch being lit. And this neighborhood responds to the light. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, how were your eyes open then? Our witness is not just our obedience, but our testimony that bears witness to our Savior. Savior. 
If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you are given a story. We call it a testimony because it testifies to the reality that Jesus Christ has done something in your life. Your testimony is not the good news of the gospel. Make that clear. But it is saturated with the gospel. And this man gives testimony. Verse 11, he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Let's be clear so we don't get ahead of ourselves. If Jesus physically heals you, that does not mean you are set free from your sins. But it may be part of God's initiative for you to see him and believe him as he really is, which does free you. This man in this moment doesn't say he believes in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, that he gets all that right. But he knows that Jesus is the one who has done something to him, and so he glorifies God by acknowledging the source of his healing. The man called Jesus did this, and then he told me to go wash, and so I trusted and obeyed him, and now I can see! He can now see the fingerprints of Jesus all over his story. We'll look at him in the coming weeks as Jesus more fully becomes his story. But here, we can't and his neighbors can't deny that he has been changed. Do you see the fingerprints of Jesus on your life? They are there. From before you were born, they are there. And they said to him, verse 12, where is he? (laughs) And he said, I don't know. Isn't it amazing that Jesus didn't stick around for this man to come back from the pool? Jesus doesn't have to be around for the works of God to be displayed in this man. He doesn't have to be here physically for people to believe him. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's an example of how people can see Jesus and his fingerprints. Everyone can see a taste of who he is by the change in this man's life. Blind to seeing, darkness to light. We can see our witness. I am not usually a fan of the Christian movie genre out there. I I don't know. Sometimes I think they just try too hard. Um, But (laughs) I want to commend to you a series that I recently watched. And if you if and maybe you've heard of it, if you haven't, it's called The Chosen. And yes, I'll caveat some artistic liberties have been taken, so don't put down your Bibles in order to watch it. But it is very well done. You guys remember Mary Magdalene from the scriptures? In two passages it says of her this little fact that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. 
Mark 16, verse 9, and Luke 8, verse 2. And in this series, they have a powerful scene where Jesus comes to her and frees her. And she is asked later about how it happened by a Pharisee who had seen her in her, in her possessed state, and she said this to him. And I think it really, really resonates with this passage. She said, here's what I can tell you. I was one way. Now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. God sends the light of the world so we can see. Here we are in the 21st century. Jesus has died on the cross according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. And he has been raised after three days according to the scriptures. And for the last almost 2,000 years, he has been ascended to his father. And what's been going on then, between now and then? He has sent his Holy Spirit to send his church to give the good news and to show the world that he does cause the blind to see. He gives our hearts sight to see the Lord, the Lord who we were made for. I'm preaching because he desires you to have that news that you can see. Life, it's called life. And if you believe him, he is sending you because he wants to bring his good news to others through you. so that they would see and have life. He has taken the initiative. The starting work has already been done. He has fully obeyed, and now we, who have been given witness as his people who by faith in him see, are to work with the Holy Spirit whom he has sent, so that more people may see. Can you imagine the man's life when something critically missing is put back in place? The lights come on. The building wakes up. I was blind, but now I see. God sends the light of the world so we can see. Not to remain in darkness, but to see. See our Savior. 